Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's June 7th, 2018, as the Chicago White Sox lost today 7-2, but they did manage to split the series against their rival, Minnesota Twins. Even with a record of 20 and 40, the Chicago White Sox are 11 and 13 in their last 24 games. I know, still below 500. But is this pace of quality going to be the norm for this type of roster? And can it continue for the rest of the season? We'll discuss that and preview the upcoming series against the Boston Red Sox, as we should be seeing Carlos Rodon make his first start of 2018. And we say should because it hasn't been made official yet. And instead, the White Sox made another transaction, which we'll use to discuss and start the show. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox made a roster move, but it wasn't the one I was expecting. The Chicago White Sox optioned left-handed reliever Aaron Bummer to Charlotte and called up Xavier Cedeno. I'm a bit confused. Can you help me understand what the logic is by making this switch? Well, you know, when it comes to a veteran of, uh, you know, Cedeno's type where he's got maybe, um, you know, comes to the team on a minor league deal, but he is, you know, Cedeno's case, he was qualified. He just happened to be coming off an injury. You know, he had some very nice years with Tampa Bay. It, it seemed like, you know, maybe it was an opt out. Sometimes around this time, you know, the start of June, but usually it's like June 1st, if not before. So, you know, being that it's a week into June, that wouldn't seem to be the case. This seems more like maybe just a an attempt to try to flip Cedeno because he's been very good at Charlotte. He's, uh, you know, has a 1.25 ERA there, struck out 25 over 12 or 21 innings, only 12 hits, only four walks. 
Uh, really pitching well in Charlotte. He has some nice years under him uh, in the majors. Uh, he had a forearm issue that was really the reason why the White Sox got him in the first place. So I think, you know, the White Sox are thinking, hey, you know, Bummer is not exactly, um, you know, lighting it up. We're not using him a ton. Uh, he have options on him. May as well send him down, bring up Sedanio, see if we can get a good month out of him when the deadline comes around. Um, yeah, with Avi being shaky and with Nate Jones not being great, you know, the White Sox don't have a lot of guys to flip. Maybe Sedanio or become, yeah, maybe Sedanio becomes that guy. Um, it is a bit of, I think, of a, a naked attempt. <laughs> um, uh, and given that he's not somebody with crazy stuff, you know, he doesn't have, uh, doesn't throw mid 90s, doesn't have that, you know, huge sweeping breaking ball that, you know, looks unhittable. I think he's going to pitch very well for that to happen. I don't think he's uh, you know, going to be somebody who um, you know makes it obvious a weekend that he's going to be trade material. So it's going to take a while, take a while, but I think it's going to be that kind of deal where um, you know well, the White Sox hope they can get six good weeks out of him and then maybe flip him somewhere else. What makes me confused with this was was Aaron Bummer pitching that poorly to be sent down to Charlotte? Not pitching poorly, but I think he was the third lefty at the time, and there wasn't a whole lot of use for him. I think he was, you know, when you look at all the relievers the White Sox have, I think he was the one I was most prone to forgetting, him or Beck. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, he's there, too, because he saw Avalon a lot. Uh, Fry became kind of a sensation, although he's regressed some with the walks, but still, I think, that, you know, Bummer was kind of uh, a little bit redundant at this point, being a young lefty who, um, you know, really hadn't uh, proven himself in, in more than low to medium leverage situations, whereas I think Sedano has a little bit more veteran credibility. Um, so I think, uh, um, you know, Bummer hadn't, pre- he hadn't, I guess, pitched himself out of a job, but he hadn't made himself ne- uh, necessary either. And when you're a young guy who has options remaining and, and uh, you know, is going to be around for a bit, the White Sox do have flexibility to bring him down. So, yeah, I wouldn't call him, um, he didn't lose a job, but he was still, uh, you know, not quite good enough to be um, invulnerable. It- it's just dumbfounded. Like I'm dumbfounded because if you just look at his numbers, he had a 3.26 ERA. His FIP is 2.03. I mean, if you're just looking at the box score, you would say, well, Aaron Bummer's performing better than Luis Avalon and Jace Fry. And Bummer did reach 19 and a third innings, uh, but he does he doesn't strike out as many batters frequently as Jace Fry or Avalon as far as percentage base. But he doesn't walk many either. And he's gotten some BABA luck. His BABA against him is 429. Uh, it just, if, if you're looking at his stats, Jim, it's it just a very confusing move. It'll be like, you know, there's plenty of guys in the bullpen that you could have sent down to Charlotte. Um, but I'm guessing Rick Hahn needs those guys to make a move for the weekend, which we'll preview and try to guess what that move is going to be uh, when we preview the White Sox Red Sox series. Uh, I just, I, I, I you're trying to make sense of it as far as the logic that bring up Cedeno, see if he impresses a team and you're able to trade him in July or maybe even early August. That makes sense. But I, when I heard the news this morning, it was like, I don't think Aaron Bummer was pitching that poorly to demerit a, a demotion to Charlotte. I could think of a couple of pitchers yeah. <laughs> on the roster that could be sent down to Charlotte, but uh, hopefully Aaron yeah, Bomber doesn't I, take I it the wrong way. it's unusual for the White Sox. What was that? I think it's unusual. Hmm. It's, I think it's unusual, like a little bit like a, it's an aggressive move. You know, we don't see them, uh, you know, I guess leverage the roster like this to where, um, yeah, yeah, I guess because the White Sox roster has been so weak that anybody performing halfway well stays around. So I think this might be the case where, you know, three lefties and, 
you know, Avalon's pitching respectively. Fry's been, um, you know, we'll see ultimately where Fry settles uh, because he started out, you know, uh, red hot and now he's uh, been a little bit shaky. So I think we have to figure out what his true talent level is, but I think he's a little bit more of a weapon against lefties. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, given how weak the roster has been and how, you know, like a guy like Trace Thompson can hang around and, and, you know, a guy like Polka becomes all of a sudden the sensation and, and, you know, Jose Rondon is, oh, yeah. Anybody with a pulse kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> stamps his ticket and is in, is able to hang around a bit. I think it's a little bit unusual, but, um, yeah, I guess it shouldn't be long, I think, before, um, yeah, I guess we figure out if Cedeno is kind of like just one of these lefty flukes that uh, pitching well in Charlotte comes up and has nothing, and then I think, you know, then the White Sox might be inclined to, to cut him loose, but... I think they're just hoping for any kind of um, you know trade fodder because they don't really have a lot going into you know unless they want to try trading a bummer who hasn't you know his best days might be ahead of him. Uh, same thing with Fry. I think that um, right now a guy like Cedeno, just somebody ultimately flippable and can get him back uh, or get, get somebody like him back next spring might be the best option. We'll go back to the first question I asked during the intro of the show. The White Sox are eleven and thirteen in their last twenty four games. And again, they started the year nine and 27. Is this pace of quality? And again, quality in the sense of being two games below 500 for a 24 game stretch. Is this a new norm that we as White Sox fans can get used to for the rest of 2018, Jim, that they can play close or slightly below 500 ball for a significant stretch? I think so. Um, And that's not saying a whole lot just because if they were to keep, say, like a slightly low 500 stretch over this small sample, you'll go over the rest of the season. That pace itself is still, you know, 70-something win pace. And considering they're winning at a 50-win pace before, that isn't the, quite the, um, you know, regression one would expect where all of a sudden you have a little bit of a hot streak and you win 15 out of 20. I mean, that's for a normal team or a slightly below average team, I think you'd expect that kind of counter streak. In this case, the White Sox aren't that good. So I think, you know, this kind of sustained slightly below averageness might be what counts as a hot streak for them. Um, their, their lineup's still a bit thin um, and, and the pitching staff is still a bit shaky and, and the bullpen, uh, you know, I think we saw with Jones blowing the game and uh, Bruce Rondon blowing the game before, it's still going to be prone to lapses that make you wonder like, you know, which player is actually here. Like, uh, yeah, I saw a lot of uh, cries to cut Jones and it's like, there are like, you know, three guys to cut ahead of Jones. Just because, <laughs> there's there's you know. plenty of guys to cut. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just, yeah. So I think, you know, you're going to have to see these relievers live because even, you know, Soria has, has developed uh, or discovered a little bit something with this uh, drop down. But before that was the case, you know, he looked like the guy to cut in Jones to take his save opportunity. So I think there are going to be these cases where you have Rondon and Jones and Soria all look frustrating for stretches. So, yeah, I think the team is just weak all over to where they're never going to be, I, I think, stringing together um, you know, seasons or series wins and stringing together sweeps, even, you know, having six or seven in a row, which, you know, any team normally might be able to accomplish. Right. That might be very tough for the White Sox, but, you know, say they get, uh, say they get Rodon back on the rotation and he finally gives them strikeout stuff. And Kevin Smith has, he's been, it's nice to see somebody who can frame a strike and, you know, come <laughs> up with a, uh, uh, you know, make some contact the way uh, Narvaez hasn't, you know, it's nice to see some, some production from the catcher spot, even if, I think a team, yeah, there hasn't been a team that can make his life hell yet <laughs> running on him. Uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it just, uh, there, there are some, 
some ways the White Sox roster can get a little bit more competent that can just, um, you know, not make it to where the, if the lineup is four spots and then just a jumble for the back half of the lineup and, and the bullpen isn't, um, or the, the rotation isn't, uh, uh, you know, just hoping to get five strikeouts from one starter over the next uh, turn of the rotation. I think there is a bit more life in, in the roster, but it's not quite there yet to where they're actually going to be winning series in, on a consecutive basis. Right. 11 out of 24, so winning 11 games out of 24, is a winning percentage of 458. If the White Sox can continue that for the remaining 102 games of this season, that's going to put them right at 66 or 67 wins, which is right where they were last year. And the over-under, I think, was 68? Yeah. So if if you bet the under in Vegas, you're still in really good shape. I think if you asked me in March, hey, if the White Sox were 67 win team, would you be okay with that? And I probably would say no, because I want to see progression going to 2019. But with the way that this season has started, Jim, I would reverse that standing and be like, I'm thrilled they got to 60 wins (laughs) because it looked like 50 would be difficult. So hopefully... The White Sox can continue to play at this pace because it is a lot more enjoyable watching them play baseball than it was for the first 36 games of the season. So hopefully they can continue this and it's still alive, Jim. 500 month in June is still alive. It's on a decent start. We'll preview the Boston series and I'm sure I'm not going to feel the same way after this weekend. But before we get to the Boston series, let's talk about the series that just happened. The four games in three days between the White Sox and Twins. And Jim, the fourth game, it was never a contest. But man, the White Sox are a Nate Jones meltdown away from winning this series. And I was impressed with how well they played against the Minnesota Twins. My my really quick take on the Minnesota Twins, I know they're playing through some injuries right now or dealing with some injuries, not having Joe Maurer on the field or Byron Buxton, but I still feel that this team should be better than what they currently are. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, what are your key takeaways from the White Sox splitting four games against the Twins? Well, um, yeah, the Twins are a weird team. And yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, it seems like they should be better at, at some points, but then you look at... Um, uh, you look at what they missed and, and uh, you know, you look at what they're getting from, say, you know, look at the, some of the performances they're getting, like from Rosario and Eduardo Escobar. And they're still below, uh, you know, 500. So it's usually, you know, those kind of performances would put a team over the top, you know, or at least, uh, you know, topple them over the other side of 500 and be like, OK, uh, they're playing a bit over their heads, but they're needing that just to stay afloat. So that does make me a bit concerned that, um, you know, there are any kind of you know, my regression to be just even worse. And, and, you know, they don't seem to be playing, you know, very crisp baseball. Uh, the pitching still isn't that impressive on paper. So I, I guess I can see why they've been this bad, but uh, the division is also that bad to where, you know, it seems like they should be able to least, um, you know, you know, like they did a few years ago, beat up on the bad teams and, and, you know, kind of just get up to 500 that way. So yeah, they're, they're a little bit confusing, but the White Sox have been playing better. You know, um, uh, I think Lopez pitched, you know, where you talk about Lopez and being kind of a number three or number four starter. I think that was the kind of bounce back start he needed to, you know, to where, you know, to avoid the massive ruts from an outing like the Cleveland start and just be an ordinary, um, you know, you know, be more of a middle of the road starter. And I think, you know, uh, 
he suppressed the hits in a way that you think is unsustainable, but this, you know, his stuff looked lively enough and, uh, um, you know, he avoided the middle of the plate, um, for the most part, and, or at least at the middle of the bats. And so that was, that was good. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Giolito is still the shakiest start of the bunch. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I know penals will be happy to say that. Like, I think when you look at the the starters, I think uh, you know you know what you're going to get more from Kovey than Giolito. So I think if you look at the roster that way, then and the rotation that way, Giolito is the weakest. But uh, you know, it was. Uh, I think the White Sox looked better. I would say than the Twins, just when it came to an overall product and defense and and um, yeah, I think Molitor is more frustrated than Renteria with the quality of um, innings. And and uh, and outs that the uh, that their teams provided, um, but so I, I think it's just uh, uh, you know I think Adam Engel playing well makes the White Sox a bit more watchable, makes the out fills out the outfield a bit more because when you're you know you're kind of flanked by Charlie Tilson and uh, Trace Thompson, I think Engel's production as it's been for the last few weeks is a godsend. Uh, the infield more or less looks solid. I think you know Tim Anderson, nice bounce back for him. Yeah, and especially in-game bounce back for making that base running out to coming back with a with a big single. Um, you know that's the kind of thing you want to see, uh, and and you know seeing him steal the base. You know it's just the kind of uh, yeah it's you, they made some of the mistakes you expect a young team to make, but they also made up for it in the way that uh, you know even Jones bouncing back and having a nice inning after his meltdown. Uh, it's good to see the problems contain the way that they weren't in April and May, just where, you know, problems begat problems. And it's just, uh, uh, Rick Renteria is just, you know, finding it harder and far, harder to stay positive in any way that sounds plausible. Yeah. In the third game of the series, the White Sox were the ones to put up a crooked number in the sixth inning and to, to take that win away from the Minnesota twins. When it appeared that the twins had full control of that game, even though it was a two to one game. It just felt like Twins had the momentum and they had control. And then, boom, the White Sox come up with the big inning in the sixth inning. My two takeaways from this series, uh, starting with Bruce Rondon. He's having a better season than I thought he would have, Jim. I didn't think that there was much left over from what we saw of Rondon from his Detroit days. And he's impressed me. And it seems like he's gaining more trust from Rick Renteria. Are you seeing anything from his performance to suggest that maybe Bruce Rondon has lasting power to be with the White Sox beyond this year? From this year alone, um, I, I would be encouraged by it. I think you know, his track record of, of somebody who is prone to uh, missing stuff, you know, having injuries, having, I guess, you know, work ethic issues that maybe doesn't allow him to come back from injuries so well or, or come back from, uh, um, you know, you wonder what the true reason for the the lack of stuff is. Um, you know, he lost all benefit of the doubt in Detroit, and that's why the White Sox got him on a minor league deal. So I think the it's the burden of proof is still on him to prove that he's a reliable reliever. Right now, I think he's kind of risen to the top as the one guy who can get strikeouts in the bullpen. And I think you know it's it's a unique set of circumstances that has allowed him to redeem himself. And so far. Um, you know, he's doing what he can, but I think the Ron Doan question is just one that can only be answered in the long term, just because we've seen him have dominant stretches in Detroit. And then, you know, one thing, you know, whether it's an injury, whether it's an outing, whether it's a, um, you know, just a, I guess a lapse of, um, composure, uh, last year he got in trouble when he uh, drilled Moustakis, uh, for no good reason, you know, drilled him in the kneecap, it was on purpose by, 
um, basically every deduction, and uh, he denied it, but just nobody's really defending him. Uh, the Royals are pissed. The Tigers really couldn't say anything. And that was just random, kind of out of nowhere. So I think, you know, he's not out of the woods there. And that's one thing that makes me think, like, if they could trade him, I would. But also, given his track record, I don't think he'll get a whole lot. And the White Sox can still use somebody like him. So I, I think if he still looks not, uh, yeah, still prone to lapses, but ultimately uh, a tougher righty than anybody the White Sox have, I think they'll keep him and, you know, I guess allow themselves the opportunity to keep him full-time in case they truly have, um, you know, found a dime in the rough and, and, and Rondon has truly learned uh, what he needs to learn to actually be in the league for, you know, longer than uh, kind of a flash in the pan. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be fascinating to watch just because uh, I think there are a lot of possibilities. He can be somewhat of a fixture for the White Sox. He can be, you know, maybe like somebody like Tommy Canley to where he pitches even, you know, better than we think from here. And the White Sox just deal him for whatever they can get fearing, you know, a, a drop in stuff, or he could, you know, perhaps just, uh, have a bad week, um, go off the rails, and the White Sox can't <laughs> get him back. I, I think the, the the spectrum for outcomes is rather wide with him still. Yeah, are you shocked that Tommy Canley got sent down? Um, not not with the velocity loss. I mean, yeah, it's, he's been that's been a problem whole season. They sent him the DL hoping that would solve him. He came back still, um, you know, still missing the strike zone. I think maybe still overthrowing, trying to get his velocity. So I guess ultimately. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised he's having that bad of a season he's having, but, uh, given just how much he was missing and, and how he couldn't throw strikes, the couldn't throw quality strikes to compensate. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think they did what they had to do. My second point from this series, Matt Davidson is back and you can tell that manager Rick Renteria when constructing the lineup card is valuing defense more than offense because he's continuing to keep the outfield of Charlie Tilson Adam Engel, and Trace Thompson. Defensively, that is the best outfield that the White Sox can have at the moment with the current roster, which means that either Matt Davidson or Daniel Polka is going to be on the bench, which means that the White Sox do not have the most optimal offensive lineup, especially with Trace Thompson's batting like 130-something. Is is Renteria balancing this dynamic well, Jim, or do you think that there is a better way of managing the lineup that could possibly allow both Davidson and Polka to be in it. Well, he talked about moving Yolmer to the outfield, or at least giving him some reps there, and I think that would probably be the way to do it. Um, when you when you look at the DH spot and trying to, uh, I think Yolmer with a few reps could be a better outfielder than Polka. Like you might already be one for all we know, because Polka is really bad. So you know that that's. We don't quite know, but it's one deduction making. You know, give him a week in the outfield, maybe he's superior to Polka, and then you have Yolmer occasionally starting. I wouldn't want to, you know, lose his glove from the infield, but maybe you know once a week, um, or or twice a week, you know, throw him in uh, the outfield, see what he can do. Um, you know, have Davidson at third, have Polka DH, and just kind of play with that a little bit. Um, but I think you know we talked about yeah you know, talking about the lineup. And just how weak it was, like after say four batters in, I think you know that might be one thing kind of shaping Renteria's outlook is that with Davidson back, with Smith there, uh, with Engel hitting better, now the lineup is like six, seven spots deep. So if Thompson's batting ninth, uh, they had four hitters like Thompson before, and now it's one. So maybe he's thinking like, oh, you know, been through worse. 
may as well have the glove out there. So, you know, that, that might be just you know, kind of a relative outlook on the lineup right now that's, you know, kind of compelling him to play Thompson as much as he's playing him. But, uh, you know, it seems like the time, if you're, if you were treating Yolmer to the outfield as a possibility is more than just kind of a throwaway option during desperate times. And I think, uh, you know, maybe not in Fenway just because the outfield is so strange. <laughs> Although, you know, um, yeah, I don't know if that's the greatest case for Polka either, but I think if you're worried about, you know, uh, misplay or injuries from whether it's the monster or the weird angles in the right field, I think, uh, uh, you wouldn't want to risk Yolmer over Polka and Polka has been, you know, <laughs> as bad as Polka is, he's been playing right field most of the time the last couple of years. So I think he's less likely to, to crash into somebody or someone. So, uh, maybe Fenway isn't the best time for it, but after that, I think, you know, if Leary's not coming back yet and if, uh, Delmonic, you know, Delmonic is you know, not coming back anytime soon. If Avi's not anywhere close, I think in a normal outfield, normal dimensions, I think that would be the time to give Yolmer an outfielder's glove and just give it a shot. Well, before we preview the upcoming series against the Boston Red Sox, as the White Sox head to Boston, a couple messages from our sponsors. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there's a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I use SeatGeek all the time to get tickets to go to the Chicago White Sox games. I mentioned I use SeatGeek for August 11th for Jim Tomey Bobblehead and also got some great seats as well when the Angels come into town in September, which hopefully will have Michael Kopech and Aloy Jimenez with the White Sox. And hopefully Shohei Otani doesn't have blister issues and maybe he could start a game or at least be able to swing a few times as a DH. And I love using SeatGeek because it saves me time and money as they search multiple ticket sites to compare the prices and find amazing deals with their deal score. And you can use SeatGeek and save money into the end of June in a couple of ways. One, if you've never used SeatGeek before, download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and use promo code SOXMACHINE, that's promo code SOXMACHINE, to save $20 off your first purchase. Or if you have used SeatGeek before, until the end of June, you can save $10 off your Major League Baseball ticket purchases by using our promo code MACHINE. That's promo code MACHINE for $10 off tickets on Major League Baseball games. Also sponsoring this edition of Sox Machine Live is Simple Contacts. Simple Contacts is the most convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription. You can reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. It's vision care for the 21st century. Instead of heading to the doctor every single year to renew your prescription for something you wear every day, take a few minutes out of your day to do it on your own time and terms. How it works for Simple Contacts. If you need to renew your contacts prescription, just take a five-minute vision test from your phone or computer. It's reviewed by a licensed doctor, and you receive a renewed prescription and reorder your contacts. All you need is your current contacts, an internet connection, and 10 feet of space. If you have an unexpired prescription, well, you can just upload a photo of your doctor's information, and you can order your contact lenses. This vision test is self-guided, takes less than five minutes, and think of how much time you save compared to making an appointment to the eye doctor. And it's reliable. It's designed by doctors and review each test carefully to make sure your eyes look healthy and that your vision hasn't changed. This isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. Keep in mind, you still need those every single year. And if you would like to save $30 off your simple contacts order, 
Go to simplecontacts.com slash socks. That's simplecontacts.com slash socks and enter promo code socks to save $30 off your order on Simple Contacts. Again, that's promo code socks to save $30 off on simplecontacts.com. And now we preview the upcoming series against the Boston Red Sox. The Boston Red Sox have the best record in Major League Baseball. They are 43 and 19. They are first place in the American League East. And if the season were to end today, Jim, the Boston Red Sox would have home field advantage. But in the divisional series, which is five games, they would have to play the winner of the New York Yankees or Houston Astros, as the Seattle Mariners still lead the American League West. If that is the way that it ended, Jim, and Seattle snaps the longest drought in North American professional sports of not making it to the postseason for, I think it's been 17 years. Last time they made the postseason was 2001. That side of the American League bracket would be very unbalanced. <laughs> and and we'll see how it goes. I mean, it's going to be a terrific race all year between Boston and New York. I'm sure both teams are going to be very active in the trade market because for those teams, again, mentioning as far as that wild card, You'll really want to win that division so you avoid having to play a one-game playoff in which anything can happen and your terrific season is over. There's a good chance, Jim, that both the Red Sox and Yankees are going to win more than 100 games in 2018. And one of them, one of them is going to have to play that one-game wild card. Just fascinating to me, especially when the Cleveland Indians are going to win like 85 games this year. Uh, <laughs> and your pitching problems for this series starting on Friday, June 8th at 6, 10 PM central time. It'll be Dylan Covey for the white Sox going up against the condor Chris sale on Saturday. It is still to be, to be announced for the white Sox against David price. And on Sunday, this is a 12 5 PM central time start. It is Ronaldo Lopez against Rick Priscilla, who is pitching very well as of late on Saturday's game to be noted that they are playing at 3.05 p.m. Central Time. As I mentioned, it is to be announced for Saturday's game. Most likely, it is going to be Carlos Rodon making his first start with the White Sox in 2018. But in order to do that, Rick Hahn's got to make another roster move to open a spot for Carlos Rodon. So, Jim, any guesses on what Hahn will do? I think it might come down to... Uh, I guess which pitchers are needed in the, in the Friday game. Like say if it's a, a short start and they go to the bullpen and maybe it's like, you know, Chris Beck throws a couple innings and it might be Beck. Um, you know, or if it's Volstead, it might be Volstead. It might come down to, uh, you know, which pitcher is least useful for the rest of the series. Cause when you look at the, um, you know, when you look at the rotation, you look at the strength of opponents, you know, when you, this Boston series, you know, I guess it can go, one of two ways, you know, when they faced uh, the Astros and Indians earlier in the year and they looked um, outgunned in each, each game, the pitching probables did not look good. And they, you know, those worked out. The Astros were superior to the White Sox. The, the Indians outclassed the White Sox. They did not stand a chance. And then uh, this Brewer series recently, you know, where, um, you know, they, they won two out of three and looked good. Um, you know, that's, that kind of, I guess, gives you a little bit of hope. But on the other hand, the Brewers didn't have the starting pitching that the Red Sox are rolling out. So, you know, it kind of looks like that, you know, closer to the Astros series on paper where the White Sox, even if they get an okay pitching performance from their side, just going to be really hard. So, yeah, it doesn't look good. But um, that's I would hope that, uh, you know, Chris Sale, last time he faced the White Sox, didn't pitch that well. And I think, you know, 
he's somebody, as we've seen, is prone to getting too amped for uh, a matchup. And he's been, he's looked normal the last two times out. I know Tyler Flowers homered off again, him again with the Braves. Uh, uh, and, and and they beat him up again. And his last start was kind of ordinary. So maybe uh, he's on the way down. The White Sox can touch him up. Or maybe uh, the, yeah, it'll be like Jose Barrios where... Uh, um, a couple of awful starts or ordinary starts, and then he gets back on track against the White Sox and beats them up. So uh, it's going to be tricky, but uh, yeah, I, I don't like the way this looks. We got a terrific message here from Brett, and Brett sent a text over, Jim. This is the third year in a row I'll be seeing the White Sox in Boston. In the past two times, I've seen someone hit their first career home run. Tim Anderson in 2016, Nicky Domonico in 2017. Charlie Tilson is the only guy on the current roster without a major league home run, right? I don't think I don't think Tilson's ever hit a home run. He just had his first extra base hit. Right. Kevin Smith's hit a home run. Yep, scanning the rest. Yep. Yeah, it would be Tilson. All right. So Brett Brett is saying, if so, it doesn't look good for my streak continuing. No. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think Tilson can pull one? <laughs> it would, yeah, with with the way Fenway's laid out, it has to be really precise pull. <laughs> it's short to the pesky pole, and then after that, it's uh, right field gets long in a hurry. So, uh, you know, Delmonico did rip one to right for his first homer, but it's gonna be tough, and and uh, especially with two lefties with uh, Sale and Price, um, I think limits his chances. Unless he somehow gets, you know, like you know, if he say if he starts against Sale and just kind of redirects the fastball over the short part of the monster, you know, maybe that's the way you could do it. But yeah, otherwise I think it's probably gonna be more of a small ball approach for Charlie this weekend. Maybe an inside the park home run, Brett. How about that? He finds yeah. the triangle. Uh, and, and, and thinking about Delmonico and Fenway last year, that was, that's the argument for not playing Yolmer there <laughs> for Delmonico and left in front of the monster. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, partially it's Delmonico's mess. fault as we've learned, like he's just not good, but also Fenway, I think messes with a lot of people, just the dimensions. I would not want to start a new outfielder. There. No, I, I think you're absolutely right, Jim. I think you're absolutely right. Brett just texted back. Not making me hopeful, Josh. Well, Brett, I don't know what to tell you, man. Charlie Tilson, Chuck doesn't have power. <laughs> All right, Chuck just does not have any power. I'm surprised that he even had that double. And in a way, I felt like he should have had a triple with the speed that he has. But he's, yeah. One thing I've noticed, he's got this quirk where he's always worried that his helmet's going to fall off. So while he's running as fast as he can, he'll make that adjustment in in mid run to keep his hand on top of his helmet so his helmet doesn't fly off. Yeah, he's got to do it. Yolmer uh, or uh, Mancada does rip it off, flinging it off. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's out of necessity or just wanting the uh, the hair to flow while running, but either way, I think it benefits them just by. Hey, man! If it, it makes you feel faster, that's the way yeah. to go. So, Brett, I hope your streak continues because that is an awesome streak to have. It'd be I'd feel a lot better for you if it was like Aloy Jimenez being called up for this weekend. Yeah, <laughs> that I'd say you got a real yep. good shot, but uh, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. But Brett. Or even even like somebody like Skull, if they time that one, you know, somebody with just freak power, because Skull did hit his first homer in his first game. It would have been they just timed it wrong. <laughs> so I think yeah, if you're looking for your random first homer, I think they probably blew that one against Cleveland. Yeah. Sorry, Brett, but hey, have a great time in Fenway. Well, I know a lot of White Sox fans that they plan their one big road trip to follow the team this upcoming weekend to go to Boston. 
Uh, I think it's going to be a tough series for White Sox fans uh, to watch, but have an absolute great time in Boston watching the White Sox at Fenway. I will make the trek one year. I will get to Boston. Unfortunately, I had to cancel this year's trip because all my friends decided to have kids. Way to go, guys. Way to and go. We also have the Sox Machine meetup uh, the weekend. We after, do. So. We do. That's why I'm not going because I have to... Uh... Uh, spend my travel money to go to Chicago. Yes. Yes. And that is a good reminder. If you would like to come and chill with us, whether at the game, we're going to be all going to a Sox, to the White Sox game on Saturday against the Detroit Tigers. Game starts at 1.05 p.m. Central Time. I'll post the updates on SoxMachine.com. Uh, tickets are just $25. So if you would like to sit with us, you're going to be in the lower level, sitting in the shade and getting our Hawaiian floppy hat game on, as that's the promotion. And the second is we're going to be having an after party after the game, and we'll be providing those updates as well on SoxMachine.com. We'll be co-hosting it with the Section 108 guys. It's always fun, and there'll be other White Sox bloggers and a bunch of White Sox fans there uh, as well. So if you are in town and you got nothing to do on June, Saturday, 16th, uh, hang out with us, whether at the game or at the after party. Again, look for details on SoxMachine.com. That will do it for this edition of Sox Machine Live. On Monday, Sox Machine Podcast, we will recap on how the Boston Red Sox series goes for the White Sox. But a key is we'll get a chance to see Carlos Rana hopefully make his first start, and hopefully it is a good one, and recap all the action in the minor leagues. And that's when we'll also talk about the Major League Baseball draft, as that will be a lengthier conversation that we wanted to save for Monday's show. So if you're looking for our reactions to the draft, we'll provide those for Monday's podcast. Thanks for listening to this edition of Sox Machine Live. If you listen to us on the live stream, you can do that every single week on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine. If you don't get a chance to listen to us live, don't worry. Every recording gets uploaded into the podcast feed, which you can subscribe through iTunes, Spotify, the Google Play Music Store, and Audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Live is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you on Monday. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X5 gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.